Then Delilah cried out, Samson, the Philistines have come to capture you. When he woke up, he thought, I will do as before and shake myself free. But he didn't realize the Lord had left him. So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. They took him to Gaza, where he was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. But before long, his hair began to grow back. The Philistine rulers held a great festival, offering sacrifices and praising their god, Dagon. They said, our God has given us victory over our enemy, Samson. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, our God has delivered our enemy to us. The one who has killed so many of us is now in our power. Half drunk by now, the people demanded, bring out Samson so he can amuse us. So he was brought from the prison to amuse them, and they had him stand between the pillars supporting the roof. Samson said to the young servant who was leading him by the hand, Place my hands against the pillars that hold up the temple. I want to rest against them. Now, the temple was completely filled with people. All the Philistine rulers were there, and there were about 3,000 men and women on the roof who were watching Sam as Samson amused them. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me again. O God, strengthen me just one more time. With one blow, let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. And then Samson put his hands on the two center pillars that held up the temple. Pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his lifetime. Later, his brothers and other relatives went down to get his body. They took him back home and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal, where his father Manoah was buried. Samson had judged Israel for 20 years. Thanks, Kit. Have you ever broken the law? I have, and I didn't even know I'd done it. And chances are you have too. Because the UK has got some really stupid laws, which you probably have broken. Under the Salmon Act of 1986, it's illegal to handle a fish in suspicious circumstances. Quite what we mean by suspicious, we don't know, but there you go. Putting a stamp on an envelope upside down is illegal because it's considered to be treason. And singing happy birthday in a public place is a breach of copyright law. One game I used to play as a kid was knock and run. That's where you knock on someone's door and run away. Clues in the title. How many of you ever played that as a kid? Fantastic. I know some of you are lying, but... <laughs> According to the Metropolitan Police Act of 1867, you could be flogged if you do that. Some of the laws we have in the UK are, if we're honest, a little bit silly. So we've all got to follow rules and laws to keep us safe. They help us live a life that stops us getting hurt and hurting others. Some of them, like the fish law, they are a little bit silly, but a lot are really practical. Like, don't kill anyone, pay your taxes, don't drink and drive. And if you call yourself a Christian, God gives you rules to follow as well. And Jesus sums them up in Mark 12 as, love your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And there's a very specific order to that. God is the biggest priority, then other people, then ourselves, last of all. And every rule that God gives us to follow is done with that in mind. 
It's to help us build a relationship with him first, then love the world around us, and then bless us last of all. So our perspective starts out here with God. I'm pointing again. He's over there. Then it's everyone else, then ourselves last. But you know, sometimes it's really easy to get the order flipped around. Sometimes it's really easy to love ourselves first, then the world around us, and God last of all. And all of us are made for a relationship with God. He's our father and we're his kids. And part of that is he gives us things to do, rules to follow. And the kind of rules that God gives us, you know, do not worry about anything. Love one another. Forgive people. They come out of a relationship where we make God first. And he's the first thing because he loves us. Christianity, people have this perception that it's just a set of rules, but the reality is it's a relationship. And part of that relationship is that we follow the rules that God gives us. We're obedient to him, and it's out of that obedience that we see transformation, breakthrough, lives changed. And that is what you're called to if you call yourself a Christian, to live a life of obedience based on love that comes out of an intimate relationship with God as your father. But sometimes it's really easy to forget that. Now, my hero is a guy called Craig Rochelle. I hadn't heard of him either until a little while ago, but he said, life will always move in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And that's definitely true when we look at our lives. It's definitely true when you look at the life of Samson, who is probably the most frustrating bloke in the Bible, and that's who we're looking at today. Now, Samson was a man who was called into a relationship with God. He was set apart to do something amazing, but his life moved in a different direction. You see, when our focus is on God, then our lives are about God, and we're obedient to God. But just like Samson, it's easy to get distracted. We see something or someone we want, something to chase after, and that becomes our strongest thought. And our life moves in that direction and it moves away from God. I don't think anyone does it intentionally. I've never met a Christian who woke up one day and said, I want to ruin my life. I want to ruin my relationship with God. Sometimes we click something we shouldn't do. We buy something we can't afford. We send a, a message or a text we shouldn't do. Little thing here, little thing there. It's not a big deal, right? We can handle it. We don't set out to ruin our relationship with God, but life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. And when our strongest thought isn't God, then our life moves away from him. And I'm going to be real with you. There's a little bit of that, a little bit of Samson in me. I find it really easy to make life me first rather than God first when I look at other Christians. And you know what is right. I'm sure you've all heard me moaning about this. I'm 35. I'm seeing all my mates getting married, having kids, buying houses, getting into ministry. I'm looking at my life thinking, oh, well, that went well. I do wonder sometimes where it all went wrong. And even though I don't mean to, I can go from this place of me first, of God first, sorry, to me first, because you look at other Christians' lives and think, I want that. But God doesn't seem to be doing anything, so why not take control of what I need? So I put my trust in myself instead of in in God, and those things that I want, become my strongest thought. I don't mean it to, but my life moves in that direction. And I can end up disobeying God because I make it about me. I think that's something we can all fall into at some point. And I wonder what that might look like for you. 
maybe you're not feeling the God thing anymore, really. So you think, why not put yourself first? Maybe you're exhausted of carrying everyone, so why not do a few things and chase what you want? Maybe you feel your life is just spent doing stuff for other people. So what's wrong with putting yourself first for a change? Maybe, you know, life is confusing. You don't see God anywhere and you're looking for direction. So why not go with what you know? There is absolutely nothing wrong with putting yourself first sometimes. Self-care is so important. But when our lives are continually driven by the decision to make it me first rather than God first, then step by step we can find ourselves in a place where we're far from God. We don't mean to do it. Often we don't realize that we're doing it. But we can disobey God because our lives aren't consistent with what God is calling us into. Samson wasn't living consistently with what God called him into and with the gifts that God gave him. And you know, great moves of God come after simple acts of obedience. And we can miss out on so much that God has for us when we compromise on that consistency. When we make life me first rather than God first. But you know, you can achieve so much more in one moment of obedience to God than a lifetime of me first. So I guess the good news is, you know, wherever you're at with that, we probably aren't the only people to have struggled with that. This series, we've been looking at the book of Judges, and if you've been following it, then Samson was the last judge in the book of Judges. There was one more after him called Samuel, got his own book, well worth reading. And all through the book of Judges, you'll see a pattern. So the Israelites were set apart, just like Samson and just like us, to be a blessing to the world around them. But they make life me first rather than God first. So they sin. And that sin leads them to be enslaved by an enemy nation or an enemy king. And then cry out to God and God raises up a savior. So sin leads to slavery, but there is always a savior. And at this time, the Israelites were enslaved by a group called the Philistines. And the savior that God raises up is called Samson. And from the very beginning of his life, Samson is blessed by God. The Spirit of God is on him. God gives him incredible strength. He lives under the Nazarite vow, which means uh, don't get drunk, don't touch anything dead, and don't get a haircut. Now, we don't know what kind of haircut Samson has. Glory to God, I hope it wasn't a mullet. But Samson was set up to be the real deal, to save the Israelite nation through his obedience to God. You see, God has taken something incredibly flawed and broken with sin and hurts, and he makes it strong through all the gifts that God gives him. And when life is God first, rather than me first, God takes something incredibly weak, and he makes it strong. But Samson, as you read on through Judges 13 to 16, seems to make life about him first rather than God first. And the direction that his life moves in is dictated by his strongest thought. Just like so many of us, Samson is set apart to do something amazing. He has so much potential, but he just blows it over and over again. His life is a cycle of anger and violence and lust. His first wife was burnt to death. He killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone. He killed another 30 over a bet. He ignored the calling that God gave him, and he misses out on so much that God has for him because he spends his life chasing things and stuff and everything that he wants. Samson takes something that God made strong 
And through the direction that his life moves in, which is dictated by what he wants, he makes that strong thing weak because he obeys what he wants rather than what God wants. And just like the Tom Jones song, one of the things that Samson wanted was Delilah. And his pursuit of her meant he chased what he wanted rather than what God wanted. And what he wanted chased him to the place where he was going to die. So when we join Samson, it's at the end of his life. Verse 21 tells us, So the Philistines captured him and gouged out his eyes. He was bound with bronze chains and forced to grind grain in the prison. That's where a life of loving himself first rather than God first and not being obedient to God has led Samson. Humiliated, tortured, and mutilated. And the problem is that when we continue putting ourselves first ahead of God, ahead of the source of all life, love, and truth, eventually our decisions and our actions will catch up with us. And that's what happened to Samson. We can all end up in that place. Samson didn't ruin his life one, all at once. He did it one step at a time. He even had people try and intervene to turn him back to God. In Judges 13, we see his parents try and intervene when he wants to marry a Philistine woman. He's not supposed to. Isn't there anyone lovely from the Israelites you could marry? They ask him. No, mum. Want that one, says Samson. I want it. I can handle it. I deserve it. I earned it. Why can't I? How often is that the narrative that we see in Samson? How often is that a narrative that goes on in our heads? There were multiple times that Samson could have turned his life around. He could have listened to his friends or his family or gone back to God. But he, all he's done is led him there because life will always move in the direction of your strongest thought. He's doing a job an animal would do, grinding grain in a prison rather than saving God's people. But where Samson is makes us ask the question, what do you do when you've made life me first rather than God first? What do you do when you know you've messed up and you don't know what to do about it? What do you do when you've done things that have led you to a place of regret and you're not sure what to do about it. You see, so often it's in that one moment where we're confronted with the horror of our sin. It's confronted with the consequences of what our actions have led us to that we see just how much we need God. I think there's two responses when you're in that place. The first one is regret at the choices we've made. Verse 24 tells us, When the people saw him, they praised their God saying, our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. Now, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I think chances are that Samson regrets the choices that he's made in life, and I think that's something we can all relate to. But the thing about regret is, though, it only ever looks inward. It only ever looks at how bad our situation is and how badly we've messed up. And the thing about regret is, though, when you stop there, we're still making it about us, are not about God. And it's easy to get stuck at regret. It's easy uh, to navel gaze, and it's easy to, you know, think, woe is me. But that's not where Samson stops. As Samson has been pulled out in front of the Philistines, in front of the enemies, he says in verse 25, Place, put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, that I may lean against them. You see, Samson had a choice. Just like all of us 
have a choice when we're in that place of regret. Samson could have cried out for death. He could have made it just about him and his suffering. But as hopeless as things look for Samson in the natural, they don't account for Samson's supernatural God. In verses 28 to 30, we read, Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me once more, and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. And in that one moment of obedience to the will of God, Samson achieves more than he did in a lifetime of me first. The direction that Samson's life moved in in that moment changed because his highest thought changed when he cried out to God. And what Samson did, it crippled the Philistine nation. It set the Israelites free. But it was in that moment of utter weakness and shame that Samson pushed through regret and into obedience to God. It's in that moment that Samson chose to look beyond how bad his situation was and his issues and look towards God and his goodness and his mercy and his strength. Because although we can take something that God has made strong and make it weak through our thoughts, when we cry out to him, God can take that thing that we've made weak and he can make it strong again. And that's what he did to Samson. Often when it's when we're in that place of utter weakness and defeat, and we're drowning in regret, when we're facing the disappointments and defeats that come with a life that's been spent making it me first rather than God first, it's in that moment of our absolute most brokenness, our greatest weakness and shame, that God's power can be made most perfect. Because we can achieve more in one moment of obedience to God's will than a lifetime of me first. You know, as good as it is to look at Samson, there was one who achieved the most good for us in the moment of his greatest weakness, and that's the Son of God, Jesus Christ. All through this series, we've seen how God uses broken people to do beautiful things. Deborah praised God when life was hard. Gideon was a coward who beat an army. Jephthah was a murderer who, despite his actions, showed how much that God loves us, and Through all these judges and the other ones, we see a little bit of Jesus and what he would do. And scripture tells us that the Son of God was beaten, whipped, shamed, and murdered for our sins. The creator of the heavens and the earth lived a perfect sinless life and was tortured and crucified for the people he came to save. And as he hung on the cross, he cries out, it is finished. His blood paying the price for our sins. His death creating a way back to the Father for us. Because just like Samson, Jesus did the most good for us in the moment of his greatest weakness. Because Jesus is the better Samson. He didn't just destroy the Philistines, but destroyed death, hell, and the grave. Not just setting the Israelites free, but setting the whole of mankind free in that one moment. Because you can achieve more in one moment of obedience to God's will than a lifetime of me first. So what's that mean for us? I think it's easy to look at a book like Judges or the story of Samson and dismiss it. I mean, who cares that some guy killed a bunch of people 3,000 years ago, right? You can hear stories like Samson that are difficult and a little bit nasty, and it's easy to dismiss them or kind of overly spiritualize them away. 
But to do that is to miss something really powerful that God has for you. See, the truth is, all of us are a little bit like Samson. You all have the potential for greatness. You've all been blessed by God with different gifts. You all have the potential to do something amazing for God, but we all have the potential to blow it. Some of you, if you're honest, you're going to hear this and think, nah, not for me, I'm all right. But all our lives have the capacity for sin. There's always a little something tugging in our hearts. It might not be a big deal, but if you're honest, if you don't address it, it can sometimes turn to a big deal. Don't follow your heart like Samson. Instead, allow the Holy Spirit to lead your heart into a place of obedience to God, even in the small things. Maybe some of you have regrets like Samson did when he was chained up. You know you've messed up badly and you don't know what to do about it. Bad relationship, neglected kids, job you hate. Somewhere along the line, you know you compromised on God's best for your life and you don't know how to put it right. I don't have all the answers, but God does. And whatever God does next in your life will come out of what you're doing right now. So maybe it's time to stop trying and start trusting. Because nothing can stop the power of God in your life except our choice to be disobedient. Maybe some of you, if you're honest, you hate your life. You don't see the point. You don't see God at work. You feel isolated and alone and you don't see a way out. There is shame in this place. There is hurt in this place. There is anger in this place. There is suffering and pain and regret in this place because just like Samson, we are bound up by our failures and we are condemned by our regrets. But 2 Corinthians 7 says, when God makes you feel sorry enough to turn to him and be saved, you don't have anything to feel bad about. But when this world makes you feel sorry, it can cause you death. And you might feel like you're in that place of death, but regret will keep you tied up. It will keep your life from changing. It will keep you from all the things God wants to do in your life. But what I'm learning slowly is that it's never too late to get on the path God has for your life. It's never too late to change direction just like Samson did. See, Samson pushed through regret and into obedience to God right at the end of his life. But he didn't do it in his own strength. He only did it by crying out to God. It's never too late. Look, let's not fool, kid each other here, right? What we're not saying is do more or try harder. Samson tried really hard. He did a lot of stuff in his life. None of it mattered. And the key to this isn't do more or try harder. It's be closer. Be closer to God. Cry out to him. Go deeper into that relationship with him. And some of you, if you're honest... You're feeling far from God. You know you've messed up. Some of you might be living life in your own strength. You, you think you can do it on your own. You don't need God. That's how Samson lived his life. But we can't do it on our own. We're not good enough. We're not strong enough. We're never going to be strong enough. It's only by crying out to God and choosing that relation with him through Jesus Christ by deciding to obey him that just like Samson, we can be set free. Because sin and selfishness led Samson to where he was trapped, regret could have kept him there. But it's only obedience to God that set him free. Because you can achieve more in one moment of obedience to God than a lifetime of me first.
You know, when you choose obedience to God, you will see God's kingdom built. You'll see breakthrough. But I want you to notice something about the last bit of Samson's life. Samson made the decision to be obedient to God, and it cost him everything. It cost him his life. And obedience to God isn't easy. It's hard. It's messy. And it will cost us everything. Samson died once, but a lifetime of obedience to God means dying to yourself every day so you can live for him. It's difficult, but it's so worth it. And maybe some of you realize that now is the time to say yes, to say yes again to a life following God, even if that's for the first time or the hundredth time, because saying yes to that relationship means so much, even though it might cost us everything. Because you can achieve more in one moment of obedience to God than a lifetime of me first. So imagine what that could look like for us. Imagine if we as a community were brave enough, bold enough to do what Samson did at the end of his life. To step into that place of obedience to God, even though it hurts, even when things seem at their worst. Where are you caught up in regret? Where do you feel your life has come off the rails? If we did what Samson did, we would see our own lives transformed, pushing through our regrets and hurts and shame into obedience and into those things that God has for us. We would see strongholds broken, things that have held us back from God's best for years, shattered in that one moment that we decide to obey him. We would see our relationships transformed as we make God a priority in our lives again, and we decide day after day to die to ourselves so that we can live for him. And as we do that, as we walk in obedience to God, imagine what we'll see out of that. Lives transformed. Breakthrough. People set free. Lives totally and utterly ruined in the best possible way. Everything that we know will be turned upside down because we have decided to be obedient. We have decided that we are followers of Jesus Christ. Why on earth would we want to live any other way than completely obedient to a perfectly loving, perfectly holy, and perfectly good God? Because you can achieve more in one moment of obedience than a lifetime of me first. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for who you are. We thank you for the story of uh, Samson, Father. God, I just pray for people in this room today. You would give us the strength to say yes in those places where we hurt, in those places where we have regrets, Father, in those places that we've strayed from your best for us, where we've compromised, where we've, our lives have gone in a different direction to you. God, I pray that you would give us the strength, like Samson, to cry out to you. And Father, through that, help us see your kingdom built. Help us see victory and breakthrough. And help us restore our relationships with you. In Jesus' name. Amen.